this coming Monday night, this coming Monday night begins the festival of Purim. Purim commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from the harsh decree in ancient Persia, as recorded in the biblical book of Esther. Every year since that time, Jewish communities have gathered around the world to celebrate God's deliverance and to remember and celebrate the heroes of the story, Mordecai and Queen Esther. We read in chapter 2 of the book of Esther, it says, Ish Yehudi Hayabashushan Habira, Ushimo Mordechai ben Yair. And there was a certain Jew in Shushan, the capital, whose name was Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, and he was a Benjamite. He had been exiled from Jerusalem with the captives, exiled with Jeconiah, king of Yehuda, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, had carried off. And he had raised Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, because she had neither father nor mother. The girl was shapely and good-looking. And after her father and mother's death, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. Hidden within the irony of this strange book is a serious message of courage and heroism. The answer to why we celebrate Queen Esther. Within ancient Persia, the queen did not have as much power and influence as you would think. After all, Esther is not much more than a glorified concubine, a sex slave who was trafficked along with many other women for the sexual needs of the king. We often forget that this is not a love story, despite the way that Hollywood or faith-based films would have us believe. The power of the story is that despite her circumstances, God uses Esther's situation to deliver the Jewish people from genocide. In fact, when Mordecai is lamenting the decree to exterminate the Jewish people and goes to Esther to plead with her to intervene, she quickly backs out, recognizing that any attempt to do anything would put her own life at risk. Esther was afraid to intervene to save the Jewish people. We read in chapter 4, Then Esther spoke to Hatach and gave him this message for Mordechai. All the king's officials, as well as the people in the royal provinces, know that if anyone, man or woman, approaches the king in the inner courtyard without being summoned, there is just one law. He must be put to, get to death. Unless the king holds out the gold scepter for him to remain alive, and I haven't been summoned to the king for the past 30 days. Yet Mordecai was not dissuaded. Instead, he responds with one of the most powerful messages of the story. And then we'll continue in verse 4. But what I just thought about, can you imagine if your spouse didn't summon you for 30 days? Again, this isn't a love story. She doesn't have access to the king like you would expect. She comes when she's told to come, and she leaves when she's told to leave. In verse 12, upon being told what Esther had said, Mordechai asked them to give Esther this answer. Don't suppose that merely because you happen to be in the royal palace that you will escape any more than any of the other Jews. For if you fail to speak up now, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from a different direction, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows whether you didn't come into your royal position precisely for such a time as this. 
in my opinion, the most powerful words of the entire story. And Esther responded in a moment of courage, and she said, okay, I'll do it. We read then in verse, uh, continuing in verse 4, Esther then had them return this answer to Mordechai. Go assemble all the Jews to be found at Shushan and have them fast for me, neither eating nor drinking for three days, night and day. Also, I and the girls attending me will fast the same way. Then I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Then Mordechai went his way and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. The British theologian Oswald Chambers theorized that heroes are not born in an instant. Rather, they are groomed over a lifetime to respond heroically when the moment arises. So let's explore the more hidden aspects of Purim to see what I mean. Throughout the book of Esther, what seems obvious is actually hidden. This is why there's this concept when approaching Purim called Hester Panim. Not only does it rhyme with Esther, but the word Hester means the hidden, the hidden aspect of the book. For example, it's crazy to have a biblical book where God is not mentioned a single time. There is no mention of God at all in the book. Not even the Jewish identities of the heroes are hidden. For the most part, these were assimilated Jews. From the outset, they would seem the least likely Jewish heroes. Even their identities are hidden. Mordechai is telling Esther earlier, don't think that you will perish. Once they find out you're Jewish, you also will die. Don't think that you will be protected by the fact that you sit in the royal palace. Remember, she didn't tell anybody she was Jewish. It says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 10, and then later in verse 20, for she did not reveal her people or her family ties. She was afraid. Esther was afraid to even reveal that she was Jewish. Have you ever even thought about their names? She has a Hebrew name. It's Hadassah, but she's not called Hadassah. Only once are we told her name was Hadassah, but she goes by Ishtar. <laughs> what is Ishtar? It's the fertility goddess of the ancient Near East. Mordechai, has anybody heard of the god Marduk? Marduk is the chief deity of Babylon. Their names are pagan deities. This should not be lost on people. We are told Mordechai is Jewish, but not once is there any mention of either of them being devout, God-fearing, or even observant of any of the mitzvot. This is very unusual for this time period. When you look at, like, especially the apocryphal writings, there's always these ideas of the heroes are faithful Jews who observe the mitzvot. And here we have a book written at the same time which, which doesn't say that. Even their prayer and fasting in the story is the result of a foxhole situation. It wasn't like they normally went about praying and fasting. It says they did this because what else were they going to do? Apart from their role, their role in the story, they're not exactly what we would initially think of as Jewish role models. However, that's exactly the point. What might seem the most obvious parts of the book of Esther are actually the ones that are most hidden because things are not always what they seem. And it is our job to seek out these hidden truths. After all, in Proverbs 25.2, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter but the glory of kings to search it out. And here we have the courage of Esther, whether assimilated or not, religious, 
or not, it seems Esther was raised with certain moral and ethical values that are resurrected in that moment. When Esther is confronted with what really matters, she builds up the courage to act. And by doing so, becomes the savior of a generation, saving all the Jewish people from, the, from across the Persian Empire by doing the right thing, even when it meant putting her own life at risk. It was in that moment that Esther became a hero. It is also interesting that God used two thoroughly assimilated Jews to do this. It is they who saved the Jewish people of ancient Persia. Although it is common to hear the woes of assimilation, <laughs> which does pose its own challenges to Jewish identity, but the Purim story is one example of times when God uses the least likely individuals to turn everything upside down. We've talked about this before, right? This Hebrew word, hipuch, which literally means to turn over. That often throughout the Bible, what you think is going to be the answer turns out to be the opposite, right? It's the younger brother who gets the blessing, right? It's everything is always turned upside down. In a similar way, but entirely different, <laughs> it was non-religious Jews who pioneered the modern state of Israel, allowing for millions of Jewish refugees to find a hope in an ancient homeland of Israel. Over the past few months, we've been discussing a renewed commitment to three things, to personal transformation, outreach, and ma'asim tovim, physical acts which bear spiritual fruit. This is why we believe in things like helping hands. And we talk, as we talk about outreach, we must also recognize who within our Jewish community we are called to reach. Because I find that we often have a rom very romanticized perspective. Instead, let's look, look at the words of Yeshua. Where in Matthew 10 he says, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those afflicted with zara'at, expel demons. God has called us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Most people think, and you hear this all the time, well, we're going to reach all these religious Jews, and we're going to reach the pious, right? But that's not what the Torah says. The Torah says we are called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Think about Mordechai and Esther. They were completely assimilated, even taking on names of pagan deities. They were those we might possibly overlook or dismiss. Ah, they're not interested in, you know. And that's the point. Lately, I have been doing a lot of thinking regarding the future of congregations and the changing dynamics of the Jewish community. It is something I'm always thinking about, but it is even more important if Beth Amunah is going to have an impact on the community around us. We must recognize that the Jewish community is rapidly changing, and we need to be able to recognize these trends so we can effectively serve and reach the Jewish people that we are called to reach. For example, for example changing cultural dynamics. There is increased secularization. Jews are less likely to attend religious services, especially in a place like Los Angeles. Instead, if you want to find Jewish people, they're more likely to be found at cultural and spiritual events. 
Only 30% of Jews today are affiliated with institutionalized Jewish community, meaning that only 30% of Jews are members of synagogues, of JCCs, or involved in Jewish organizations or th philanthropy. The majority of Jews today fall into the category of just Jewish. A recent Pew survey estimated that the intermarriage rate is now as high as 70% in certain parts of the country. And Los Angeles is more assimilated than the East Coast. LA is a different kind of Jewish community. We're also actually the most diverse Jewish community, where you have Jews from Iran, right? We have Jews from the Middle East. You have, uh, close to where we used to live, Ethiopian Jews. Like, you have a very diverse Jewish community here. The, ma the vast majority of Jews under 40 years of age have only one Jewish parent, and most children of intermarried parents were not raised with a strong Jewish background. However, it is also a mistake to assume, then, that most Jews are not proud to be Jewish or care anything about Jew being Jewish. Actually, the opposite seems to be true based on studies and surveys. We can either be a gatekeeping community or we can be an innovating community. Who do we exist to reach and how are we going to do it? For the sake of time, I'm going to skip a little bit here. Yeshua taught that we are to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And if you read closely what he says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you proclaim, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those afflicted with zada'at, and expel demons. These were Jews on the fringes of society, the sick, the dead, the afflicted, the demoniacs. That's what he says, right? Not exactly who, would we, ne who we would necessarily consider our target audience. <laughs> However, it is those on the fringes that Yeshua has called us to reach. But we could also add the assimilated, the unaffiliated, and those who are just Jewish. Therefore, Mordechai's and Esther's are who we are called to reach. Those who are assimilated and largely unaffiliated. It's also the Jewish community that surrounds us here in the Agora area. All the time I'm meeting kids, fellow uh, students in, in our son's school, who often come from intermarried families who are not very religious. They don't really go to synagogue. They might go to a wedding or a bar mitzvah or whatever. But it's precisely the community that we've been placed in is the kind of community that we should be reaching. I believe we must lead instead of just react. But it will require bravery, creativity, and challenges, just like Esther and Mordechai. Everyone here today must ask yourself if you are up to the task. Because I want to recall Brett's message last week in which it was all centered around that verse from Romans, for I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is God's powerful means of salvation to everyone, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. Perhaps just like Esther, we have been called for such a time as this. God is regathering his people and he has called us to participate in this ingathering if we're willing to take a risk and to trust God. I believe we can do it. When God is for us, who can be against us? Part of the changes we have been making lately are moving towards retooling aspects of our congregation to meet those challenges. But we can only do it together. So I ask you, are you up for the task? Are you ready to be an Esther, a Mordechai, to be used by God 
for the redemption of Israel. Because God wants to use the least likely in order to turn the world upside down. Amen. Avinu, our Father. I pray that on this Shabbat Zachor, this Shabbat of remembrance, that we would remember the call that is placed upon us. That we need to be bold. And I realize that there is an intelligent and a smart way to do that. But God, I pray that we would be bold in order to reach not only Israel, but the world. Because God, you will not return until Israel says, according to scripture, Baruch blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel must welcome you in order for the fullness to take place. So God, help us to be your tools in bringing about redemption. That you would move in us and through us so that we can change our community. Thank you, God, for the message of Purim. That although it is fun and lighthearted, it also has a serious message. Just as the life that we live on a daily basis. Help us to be your Talmidim, your disciples. To be your eyes, your ears, your hands and feet in the world around us. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So please rise with me if you'll turn in your prayer books to page 85. As we seal what God is doing within us this morning. Page 85. Aleinu l'shabeach li'adon hakol Letet gedula li'otzeh breishit Shelo asanu kegoye ha'aratzot Velo samanu kemishpachot ha'adama Shelo sam chelkenu kahen Vegor aleinu kechol hamonam Ve'anachnu kolim, u'mishtachavim, u'modim. Lifne melech, malachi hamlachim, ha'kadosh baruchu. Shehu no teshamayim ve'yosed aletz, u'moshav ikaro bashamayim imar, u'shchinat uzo, u'shchinat uzo, Begav meromim, hu eloheinu einod, emet malkeinu efesulato, kakatu betorato, viedata hayom, viedata hayom, vehashevota elevavcha, ki adonai hu haelohim, Bashamayimima, they are harlots, they are harlots, me Let's continue responsibly the top of page 88. Therefore, we put our hope in you, Adonai, our God, that we may soon see your mighty splendor together to remove detestable idolatry from the earth, and false gods will be utterly cut off,
to perfect the universe through the almighty sovereignty, then all humanity will call upon your name to turn all the earth's wicked toward you. And all the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend, every tongue should swear. Before you, Adonai, our God.